0: A common question I hear these days is how do I turn my passion into a career? There's a lot of talk about passion. I talk about this on this podcast a lot. Everyone has a passion. We all have passions. But is it possible to turn that passion into a full-time income? Is it possible to not spend every day just going through the motions, but to wake up every day looking forward to getting to work? Can we do work that both fuels our passion while also making a profit? Yes, I truly believe the answer is yes. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, a community leader, or an amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Marissa Flax, the founder of Rise Creative. Marissa has actually become a dear friend of mine over the past seven months or so, and I have come to really love, respect, and admire her. Her branding agency that specializes in working with businesses in the ethical and sustainable space is amazing, and Marissa is so knowledgeable, and honestly, she's so wise beyond her years. You are going to adore her. Before we get to our conversation with Marissa, I want to thank one of this week's sponsors of the show, which is Causebox. I love having Causebox as a partner of this podcast because I've been a subscriber of Cause box since the beginning. I started subscribing to cause box over two years ago and immediately fell in love with it and I have been a proud 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 member ever since. For those that don't know cause box is a quarterly subscription box that comes out each season and each season's box has a whole design and product theme and every single product in the box is ethically made fair trade or gives back in some way and the products are gorgeous. This is one of my all-time favorite favorite subscription boxes and truly I believe it is honestly one of the best values. It costs around $50 a box, but you receive more than $150 worth of beautiful and unique products that are making a difference in the world. Causebox just announced an extremely limited edition men's box. Yes, a box full of amazing ethical products for the guys in your life. This is selling out fast, so you have to hop on it. The team at Causebox has been so generous to provide my listeners with an exclusive coupon code for $15 off your first box with the code Molly. Simply go to stillbeingmolly.com slash causebox to sign up. That's stillbeingmolly.com slash C-A-U-S-E-B-O-X and use the coupon code Molly for $15 off. And if you haven't heard my interview with Matt Richardson, the co-founder of Causebox, go back and listen to episode 13 of this podcast to hear his amazing stories and all about the history of Causebox. Now on to the episode with Marissa. Hey, Marissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am so excited to have you on. And for those that don't know you, um, you and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of months. We've started doing some work together, and I am just so excited for everybody to to meet you. And because I feel like I'm I'm like introducing a friend to my other friends. <laughs>
1: I'm excited to be on and to to talk to everyone.
0: Yes. So um, what you do is so unique in this space, because honestly, there is there. there, I mean, there's just not a lot of people out there that do what you do. And so without further ado, I feel like I keep saying the word do (laughs) Um, without further ado. I want you to give us the Marissa 101. So tell us all about yourself, where you're from, how you got started and tell us your story.
1: Sure. So um, my name is Marissa Flax. I'm the founder of Rise Creative. Um, We are one of the first ethical branding agencies. So we specialize in digital marketing and branding specifically for ethical brands in fashion, home goods, and beauty. Um, I'm originally from New Jersey, um, Pennsylvania. I kind of grew up back and forth between the two, and I am now located in Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: Queen City. Yes, I love this city. It's so cool. (laughs) Yes. And so how did you get into doing what you do? I mean, because I know that you have a marketing background, but, Mm -hmm. you know, focusing it in the ethical space, that niche is so unique. Um, I remember when I first came across you, I was like, this is this is genius. Like, I I don't feel like I've seen this before. So I mean, I maybe one other person, like maybe one other person. So tell us kind of how you got into marketing. And, um, you know, was this something that you studied in school? And what made you decide to start Rise Creative?
1: Yeah, so I have loved fashion since I was young. I mean, I used to line my walls with magazine pages. My parents hated me. Um, <laughs> and we I Really, just wanted to work in the fashion industry. I loved how creative it was, um, and that it was just kind of an outlet for so much culture and art. Um, so when I went to college, um, I went to Rutgers University in New Jersey, and I was close to New York, and just kind of interned my butt off wherever I could in the industry, and. Um, two years in, I kind of found myself in a rut. Like I didn't really feel like I was serving anyone or helping anyone. And that's just something that I guess is innate in me. I love to serve other people. And I just felt like I was kind of stuck in a corporate world that didn't feel right to me. And don't get me wrong, there are so many people in the corporate fashion industry who are so talented and great at what they do. But Mm -hmm. I just didn't feel like I was where I was meant to be. Um, And by chance I had taken a cultural anthropology class um, and my professor um, was what he called a fashion anthropologist, which is something I had never heard of. And it was so exciting to me. We learned about, you know, how the industry affects parts of Southeast Asia and um, upcycling and recycling and just the entire fashion process throughout the areas of the world that you don't usually think of, especially when you're in corporate. Um, And so from there, I was kind of determined, like, how can I combine these two? How can I serve these communities, but also work in fashion? And um, I didn't really know what to do. I mean, I remember emailing, like, every article we read, I emailed the author, like, okay, I love what you wrote about, you know, what can I do with this? Um, And I actually went to an If Gathering event in... I think it was 2014 um, at my church, and a girl there had set up a noonday table. And at the time, I didn't know what noonday was, and I picked up a pamphlet, and it just talked all about how noonday serves um, women around the country in um, the capacity of, you know, building jewelry and in the fashion sphere. And it was like a light bulb went off. Like this is what I want to do. I want to work with you know, ethical and fair trade fashion around the same time, the movie, the true cost came out. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of like, everything was really coming together. And there was finally this path that I could take that I didn't know about. Um, So at the time I was halfway through college feeling kind of lost. Like how do I make a career shift at this, at this moment? Um, so that summer I just took three internships at once and did as much as I could. And, um, I just learned so much from the brands that I worked with. And when I graduated, you know, a lot of these brands are nonprofits and small business, and it's very hard for them to have um, full-time staff that are dedicated to marketing. And um, so I really kind of wanted to just fill that gap and serve these brands in, in my background, which is communication and marketing. And um, I'm really grateful that I get to do it on a daily basis, and I love it.
0: I think that is so cool. I want to go back a little bit. Um, One of the things that you said that really stuck out to me was how you found yourself in a rut and you didn't feel like you were serving anyone and you kind of felt stuck in that corporate world. And that is one of those things that I know I have felt. And I talk to countless people who say the same thing, who are just, yeah. they feel stuck in their day-to-day life. Whatever it is, maybe they're, they feel stuck in a job. Maybe they feel stuck where they live. Feeling, this feeling of being stuck is such a common thing I hear these days. But mm-hmm. I also yeah. feel like we live in this like a very different culture these days than we did even three or four years ago where Mm -hmm. people are realizing that life is short and I realize that this is Mm -hmm. not a new concept (laughs) but people realize that life is short and being stuck forever is a miserable way to live and like you said it's not to say that working in a corporate job is bad because some people are that is what they are meant to do and that's what they're called to do Mm -hmm. um but I guess when you started to feel like you were in that place and you were like you had this passion for for you know clothing and fashion for years and you kind of got into that space and all of a sudden it just didn't feel right what were those initial steps that you took to get out of that and and what would be your advice to somebody who maybe is in that place right now and kind of feels stuck
1: yeah Um, I mean the first thing that I would say which you kind of already mentioned is that we are so lucky to live in a time where many people are doing their own thing and and making their passions into their careers. And um, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with the digital age and the internet that you can create a business online in five minutes. And Mm -hmm. um, when I was in that rut, I kind of just had to take a step back and reevaluate, you know, what are my passions? What is my purpose? What is my calling? And how can I live that out? Even if it's in a way that I had never pictured or never, um, you know, imagine for my future. Um, so, I honestly read a lot of books. <laughs> yeah. um, I have a very large book collection, you know, everything from um, business books, like Girl Boss, and um, everything that was kind of like th- the millennial um, entrepreneur genre, I guess, yeah. um, to like Jenny Allen and Allie Worthington, and just some really great authors who talk about, you know, living out your purpose and living out your calling. And um, I just kind of had to take the leap of faith and hope I'm walking in my purpose that it's it's going to work out. Um, I mean, my I guess my advice would be to just just do it and do what you got to do. Like if you have to be a waitress for the six months it takes to get your business up and running, like anything that it takes to make you happy instead of being stuck, like you said, in in that miserable place of just not being happy in your job. It's mm-hmm. definitely worth it in the end.
0: Oh, girl. Yes, I remember. <laughs> so, I mean, a big part of my story is um, when I moved to North Carolina in 2009, I, this was, you know, right kind of after the recession, but sort of in the peak of the recession when the economy was just horrible and I had been a high school teacher for a couple of years and I'd moved to North Carolina, and I like had all these big <laughs> dreams and hopes and aspirations. And <laughs> I get here, and nobody's hiring. And I yeah. was trying to build this freelance marketing business on the side, and I was just trying to hustle, hustle, hustle. And I was also broke. I was in so much debt, and I was trying to get out of debt. <laughs> and there I was. At one point, like I literally just took any job. That I could get And Mm -hmm, so I was working part time At an art gallery And then I was working For like $10 an hour And then I Mm -hmm. was working At Anthropology, The store Mm -hmm. Doing Mm -hmm. retail My first day was Black Friday That was horrible Um (laughs) like working retail on Black Friday at anthropology. And if people, oh. are, people are walking in going, do you have any doorbusters? And I was like, um, this is anthropology, not Penny. Get out of here. Um, no, we don't have doorbusters. <laughs> uh, so, and then I worked as a food runner, like a uh-huh. food runner at a bar. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And so I was a food runner. And then I worked part time at a radio station. And I remember like there would be nights when and again, I'm trying to build my, like I'm blogging and I'm trying to build my business and all this kind of stuff. And there would be nights where I'd be working at the bar and I'd be like handing, this is just being me being honest and frank. I'd be handing like uh, tables of drunk dudes like mm-hmm. cheese fries and beer <laughs> and I'm like, I have a college degree, I worked for the governor of Virginia, and it's 130 in the morning, and I'm handing drunk people cheese fries, like what am I doing with my life? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like I, I also had to just accept that that was the place I was in. And if I wanted to get out of that place, eventually, I was gonna have to put in the hard work. And it was terrible. I mean, I'm not even gonna sit here and say that I'm like, oh, it was uh, you know, it was so wonderful and really tough. I mean, t- <laughs> no, it was awful. Like I <laughs> you know, but i I tried to make the most of it. Like the bulk of my money came from that mm-hmm. um that food running job because I would get tips and stuff. But I used, you know the art gallery job. It was a very slow job. So what did I do is I was basically getting paid ten dollars an hour to build my blog. And work on my blog and all that kind of stuff. And so and then my the radio station job eventually became my full time job. And so I I just tried to use those as opportunities to grow. And so I think that is such a great piece of advice that you said that sometimes you have to get out of that place Mm -hmm. and maybe even put yourself in a worse place for a short period of time so that you can focus on the things that do make you passionate. Because as horrible as those four jobs were, (laughs) I was strategic in making money but then using some of the time at one job to build the business that I that I have now. And so it's it's right. interesting to kind of look back and kind of see how that all worked out. So I, I love that you the way you put that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think even looking back, I mean, I don't know if you can say this, but I'm I am grateful for those little jobs who helped mm-hmm. get me through. I mean, I was in the restaurant industry for 6 years. Yeah. high school college, even a little bit after college. and I mean, I made some of my best friends there, but now I can look back and say I'm grateful that that was my source of income while either during the day or after hours, I was working at what I love to do and and now I'm here and can do that full time. So um, and even people in a full-time job, like if you have a full-time job right now, there's a saying and I can't remember what it is, but it's like, don't let your nine to five basically be it like what work on your passion from six to ten or something like that Mm. because you don't want to get stuck in that rut
0: yeah absolutely um you said that you read a lot of books um are there like maybe one or two maybe even three books that stick out in your head as you read that book and you're like it's still on your shelf and you still reference it like it changed your life are there any that you would recommend to anybody to read
1: Um, present over perfect Mm. one for sure. I've read that multiple times. Um, I actually, and I think it's important to say backtrack a little bit that when I graduated college, I didn't know that this is where I was going to end up. I actually had accepted a job offer and never planned on moving to North Carolina or being in Charlotte or or working for myself really. And, um, I think that I just kind of had to, um, again, take a step back and really follow where I felt I was being called and, um, present over perfect just helped me to really be present and be mm-hmm. in the moment, no matter if it was what I had pictured or not. Um, and I think it's such a great book for any season of life. Like whether you are, like I said, graduating college and trying to figure out your life or, you know, you're kind of coasting through and, and trying to be more present in your family and your friendships. It's just a really good book. Um, yeah. Any, any Jenny Allen book. <laughs> um, I, I read. <laughs> um, yeah. I've read, Like, anything that was a really good one when I was feeling really stuck, just, you know, what am I going to do? And um, anything is all about praying. Like, uh, I will do anything that's in my purpose and in my calling. And um, that was a great one. Mm -hmm. And then... um, I just, I honestly were moving and I just packed all my books and I wish I could look at my stacks right now. But, no, that's um, okay. I know you're I mean, in like a
0: season of transition as you guys move to, you guys are in, I guess, you guys are technically in South Carolina now, but you're, I mean, you're right on the border, right?
1: Yes. So right now, well, at this moment, I'm in South Charlotte, but we will be in South Carolina, like literally right over the border as of Saturday, which is exciting to get into a, a home office space, I guess, and Have some room for the dog. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, So the another question I wanted to ask you, kind of going back to when you were talking about as you started to transition. So you took a cultural anthropology class, and your Mm -hmm. professor said that he was a fashion anthropologist. Please tell me more about this because I am so interested. And the reason I say this is because my senior year of college, I had taken all my difficult classes early in college and so my second semester my senior year you know my last semester of college I had just like a a couple of random one hundred ones that I needed to take for to graduate and I had like a I don't know it was like a liberal I mean I think I had like one liberal arts 101 that I had to take had to take to graduate and so I was like I'll take anthropology 101 because that sounds interesting Mm -hmm. and it ended up being probably the my favorite class I took in college and I was so mad that I took it my second (laughs) semester senior year because I was like I want to take all the anthropology classes now. Like it, legitimately. I still. My husband, who edits these shows, he's gonna laugh because I talk about that class all the time. Really? He's like, That's "We awesome. get it. You loved
1: that it's class." Underrated though. Like, you no, anytime I say anthropology, I've gotten like, um, "Do you dig up dinosaur bones?" <laughs> like, just these crazy assumptions, dinosaur and I'm like, bones. "It's so interesting. Like, it is so interesting. Class.
0: It is yeah. so interesting." Okay, so before we get into that, I want to the fashion anthropologist thing. What is, Mm -hmm. I don't know, and and maybe this actually could answer that question as well. What is the most interesting thing you've ever learned in an anthropology class? And then I'll answer as well because I want to talk nerdy anthropology stuff.
1: Oh, that's so hard to answer. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) Is there something in particular that has like, or like what's something about anthropology that you really love?
1: Learning things that you would never think existed in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, One thing, um, I guess I don't know even know how to explain it because it's been so long since I've like reviewed the concept. But in Brazil, speaking about skin color, I guess because of your social status, there's a way for you to not be considered a certain ethnicity
0: when you are
1: physically that ethnicity.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So like ethnicity is like system. Ethnicity is almost like related to socioeconomic status
1: yeah so because of your socioeconomic status it can exclude you like or bring you higher than what your what they would consider your skin color to be like it's just this whole intricate system and they also have like a third gender and like it's just it's awesome like it's so cool to hear about what's normal in other places of the world that you would never think exists
0: that's fascinating. From see what you learn every day. See, if you're listening and you've never learned anything about anthropology, I am telling you, it is so interesting. Like, it's it's fascinating. And I really, I want to find some of the, like, I almost wish I could remember what some of the documentaries we watched in that class oh. were, because um, I would, like, die to find them on Netflix these days or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if anybody knows yeah. of any good anthropology documentaries, Tweet me. <laughs> Instagram yeah, me. Send them our way. Send them our way. Um,
1: There's one, um, Nanuk of the North, is about um, about Eskimos in Canada, and it's so interesting.
0: Wait, what? Tell me that again.
1: It's called Nanuk of the North.
0: Is it like N-A-N-U-K?
1: I think it's N-A-N-O-O-K. All
0: right. I'm writing this down. Nanuk of the North, Eskimos in Canada. Got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Done. Um, so... The one that I always remember the most, and I think about it every time I go to New York City, is we studied the mole people. Hmm. Do you know what the mole people are? I think so. So the mole people are, they started, and forgive me if I misquote the exact year that they got started, because I want to say it was sometimes in the sometime in the 50s um but it could be even as early as the 40s but it's basically a sect of new york city's like manhattan's homeless community that retreated underneath the subways and mm-hmm. so they're in the when the subway system in manhattan was first built there are like tunnel after tunnel after tunnel and a lot of them are no longer used so, like, mm-hmm. an initial tunnels that were built in New York City, like are were built underneath the tunnels you go in now. So, like when you ride the subway in New York now, like underneath of you are more tunnels. And so this sect of homeless people in New York City or people experiencing homeless, i, I I'm trying to get better at saying it that way. Mm-hmm. People experiencing homeless in New York City were they retreated to those tunnels that are underneath of the subways because it's warmer down there mm-hmm. and eventually they started their own like community and wow. so they have this whole system set up and I don't know at this point because this I mean I studied them when I was in a senior in college so this would have been 2007 um, this, and this is my second semester senior year so this is, I mean 10 years ago um, mm-hmm. over 10 years ago and this. So at the time, and there was like, probably close to a couple thousand, maybe even more that lived in the tunnels, but they have like a whole kind of hierarchy system, like they have a, a like a, what they would deem a mayor, they have ed, an education system down there, like, wow. quote unquote, schools, they, yeah, I mean, it's like a whole system. That exists down there. And they. And that still exists today? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and like people are like, oh, they think it's a myth, but it's not. Like it's, it, this is real. Like we watched it, we watched a documentary on Then this, this journalist years ago went down and like befriended them and basically she wrote a book on it. So I think it's called Just the Mole People, M O L E. And it's fascinating, fascinating. But they, um, yeah i mean mean, they have children (laughs) like they just and and they i guess certain mole people will come up to the surface i guess (laughs) i i really i'm not trying to sound offensive at all but this is like this is what i learned um they like come out of the tunnels to get like food scraps and stuff but mostly they subsist off like rats and squirrels and stuff down there um yeah i mean it's it's very interesting and like I think the city of New York for years has tried to get them out and and help them but like for most of the people again forgive me if I'm saying something incorrectly but from what I best understood is that they they are I guess you could say happy down there and they like live their own life. I mean they clearly don't pay taxes or anything like they right. they just kind of exist beneath the subways of New York. It is fascinating
1: yeah and that's what i mean like figuratively and literally learn about things that are overlooked in anthropology yeah
0: yeah but then there's like all these I, i guess like if you live in New York, it's kind of like a rite of passage of living in New York to spot a mole person like coming out of the subways. Um, So because I have friends, I mean, I have family up there, I have friends up there. And they're like, I saw my first mole person. And I'm like, "Oh, it's yeah. So anyway, again, forgive forgive me if I'm saying something offensive. I promise I'm not trying to like, um, but it really is. It's really, really interesting. And um, but it was, you know, it's one of those things I should probably update myself and like, kind of see like what's the status of the mole people in 2017 because I don't know but yeah yeah, this is what we this is what I learned in two thousand (laughs) seven but anyway so with that being said tell me about your professor who was referring to himself as a fashion anthropologist.
1: Yeah so he basically I know right now he's working in Europe. So he basically studies um fashion in different communities all over the world and how the industry affects different communities. Um, I mean I remember learning about how basically like our our donated t-shirts were being repurposed in, in um, South Asia mm-hmm. by like what we would consider upcycling, I guess, by like making new, um, new designs out of old products. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned about, which I later ended up using for my senior thesis, how um, a group of, I want to say it was six, it might have been eight designers from Brussels in Belgium, um, took their clothing to... London for London fashion week and kind of, um, put, I guess, Brussels on the map, um, as far as fashion and just kind of different little niche areas throughout the world. And, um, that kind of led me to study a niche area. So for my thesis, I ended up studying how, um, the fashion industry impacted slash was impacted by, um, economics, society, and politics in Argentina
0: and Buenos Aires, Argentina. Wow. That is so cool. I mean, I would not have honestly known that that was even really a thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's so interesting because the industry is huge. Like it is. I know that in in the ethical space, like there's on a daily basis. I read statistics, but you don't realize it until you're actually you know trying to study it. <laughs> that it's so mm-hmm. big, um, and it's so diverse and unique, and um, it does have the ability to really affect people's lives economically as far as providing jobs which is amazing and it's so great to see so many ethical brands um trying to serve people in that way and i think that you know studying fashion in from an anthropological lens is a great way to you know study impact and how we can strengthen um the relationships between ethical brands and the communities that they serve
0: Okay, let's take a quick break to let me tell you about another awesome company that is helping to make this show possible. Our sponsor today is Sevenly. Sevenly. Sevenly was founded in 2011 with the mission of leading a generation towards generosity. Based on the core belief that people matter, the Sevenly team created a cause art movement consisting of seven-day cause campaigns inviting customers to purchase advocacy art, apparel, and accessories that donate to nonprofits. Now widely recognized as one of the world's leading social good companies, to date, Sevenly has given back over five million dollars to charities around the world this holiday season sevenly is excited to offer you the opportunity to give back while also giving gifts to your loved ones i love the love thy neighbor as thyself shirt that directly benefits hurricane harvey victims in fact 100% of the proceeds are going to help our Texas friends. You can check out their signature collections at sevenly.org and give back to the charity of your choice. Use the coupon code molly10 for 10% off now through the end of November. And if you have not heard my interview with the co-founder of Sevenly, Jim Van Erden, you can go back and listen to episode 53 to hear it. It was one of my favorite episodes to date, and I know you will love it. Now back to my conversation with Marissa. You mentioned earlier that you, when you really decided to pursue your passion and you um, ended up starting Rise Creative, which is an ethical branding agency, help explain a little bit more as to what you do. So I know that your primary clients, I mean, obviously you and I are doing some work together, but your primary clients are brands in the ethical space so mm-hmm. if you know if it's a fair trade fashion company or a you know of ethical t-shirt line or you know a clean beauty brand you know something like that what is your role in working with them and um you know and I guess it, this is almost one of the things where it's like say we meet in an elevator and I'm an ethical brand <laughs> what's like your what's, your, what's your elevator pitch <laughs> you know um, um but yeah I mean I'd love I mean, for I'm you sure. to kind of share a little bit more about that
1: Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, from us working together, I mean, I always start by saying it's very personalized. Mm -hmm. So whatever your brand needs, wherever you see a whole, whole, um, anything from social media to bull tent. I recently started doing creative direction in kind of all aspects of branding as far as, um, you know, does does your tagline and your messaging match the pictures that you're putting out or match the story you're trying to tell? Um, I'm really big into creative storytelling. I think, um, kind of having that like anthropological perspective has helped me to um, be what some would call, I guess, pol- politically correct, how you're telling your stories about the communities that you're working mm. with. Um, and then other things kind of nerdy tech things like SEO and um, SEO audits and everything like that. So really any any corner of marketing where um, a brand has a hole or doesn't really know how to explore that area, um, I try and come in and Either consult them and kind of give them direction, or I actually manage that project myself.
0: That's awesome. What has been something that you've learned, or maybe a common thread that you've seen since starting your company and and working with brands in this space? Like, is there a particular, maybe a common thread that ethical brands need help with? Or what's something that you've learned, you know, that you're maybe you, when you first started out, you were going to do something one way, but then as you really got into it, you realized that another way was better.
1: Um, I think it's honestly evolving every day. I mean, I feel like I am learning new things every day.
0: Yeah.
1: Um like when I first started, I just assumed, okay, like social media and blog are going to be the two big things, but you know, I'm, I'm huge nerd, um, when it comes to analytics. Mm -hmm. And I think that like data informs so much when you're building your brand and and deciding what to put out there and where, where to invest your time. Um, so, you know, social media and blog has, um, turned into adding on newsletters and, um, you know, changing your messaging on your website and including keywords and SEO. And it's just always evolving. I mean, um, social media and internet is always changing. I mean, Instagram has changed its algorithms like three times this year. So um, I think it's important to really just keep up with not only um, how the internet is changing, but also how brands can adapt to that. Um, One pattern, I guess could be content. Um, I think it's really hard as a small business owner who is trying to, you know, ethically source their products and um, do production and, and sourcing and customer service and all of that to also handle, um, you know, social media and blog posts and um, even, you know, I'm sure putting together like the creative direction of a photo shoot can be challenging at some times when you're trying to handle all the aspects of business. So, um like I said, that's why I really just like to come in and and fill whatever need they have
0: at that time. Yeah. I'd love for you to kind of share a little bit more about one of the things you said was that you are really into creative storytelling and that you Mm -hmm. help your your clients and your brands tell the stories of the communities that they're serving Um, and Mm -hmm. being politically correct in that. And I mean, and I think it's even, you know, this is an area that in a lot of ways is ever changing um, because what is politically correct now or the right thing to say, I guess you could say is different than probably what it was five years ago or 10 years ago. I mean, and and you know, it's something that I'm constantly learning myself as well. And Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I so often try to explain to people that like ethical fashion is not about charity. It's about opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's about giving people the chance to, you know, earn a fair wage and, you know, they don't want to hand out they, you know, just because they live in a developing nation, like they're no, you are no better than them. They right, just, exactly. they don't have yeah. access to the same opportunities we do. And so, um, right. and the same with like earlier, I corrected myself on saying homeless people to people experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. And this is something that exactly. I have been educated on myself in the last couple of years. And I'm still trying to change my habits of way I, the way I, address people. Um, and I realize that maybe for most people, you might think that this is something that's super minor, but it's important. And so I guess, you know, what are some of the things that you do or are important to you when you get into that area of creative storytelling and, and you know, in, in so many ways, being politically correct and doing it?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I like what you said that we're no better than anyone else, because I think that's one big thing. Um, in college, we learned about Um, helping versus serving. So you're not going in there to help them. Like there's no, um, you know, there's no hierarchy. Like we're no better than another community just because they lack those opportunities. Um, So I think just really humanizing, like making people, I always love to tell, especially if it's an artisan brand, love to tell the stories of artisans. Like this is a human being, this is their story. Like they are, you are no better than them or you know, higher up on the food chain mm-hmm. almost than them just because, um, you know, they don't have the same access that you may. So um, that's one thing, I guess, is really just making everything as um, as humanity-oriented as possible. Yeah. And then another thing is being sensitive to um, the communities that you're serving, being sensitive to, I guess, their own ethics. Like, for example, if you are serving a community who – Um, the women don't want to have their pictures online or don't want to have their faces Mm -hmm. online. Like that's something that you have to be sensitive to in your messaging and your storytelling. Um, you know, just really knowing more and being more educated about, um, the communities that you're in.
0: Yeah. Like that's a very common issue in India. Mm -hmm. India's most artisan groups that are in India, the artisans do not want their pictures taken um, Mm -hmm. and they don't want their faces online. So that's a very culturally significant thing. And sometimes, you know, for maybe for personal reasons or even safety reasons, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so that, yeah, that can definitely be a challenge. And, um, you know, I've I know in some of the work I've done with ethical brands, you know, sometimes they. Have to change names or just kind of use initials to describe somebody's yeah. story, or maybe even you kind of create a hybrid of multiple stories mm-hmm. that just kind of speak to a particular demographic or a particular type of person that they're that you're serving or working with, right?
1: Instead of that person, yeah, and just kind of being like culturally aware of those those cues and what what you can and can't do, or what you should and shouldn't do, yeah, um, just to respect where you are and who you're working with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big challenges I know I have experienced in the last, I don't know, couple of years is, I guess the best way to word this is just kind of educating consumers. And and when I say consumers, I mean my friends, my family, you know, I guess on why... I'm so passionate about this um, mm-hmm. and why this is an issue that I believe is so important and I believe people should care about. And to be quite frank and tr- quite honest, I feel like this is also an issue um, that Christians should be passionate about. And if you're not a Christian yeah. and you're listening to the show, that is awesome. That's okay. <laughs> you know. But I, I think in particular, this is an issue that I think Christians should be really getting behind. And yeah. I'm not seeing it the way that I feel like we should be, and I I yeah. say that gently because I my goal in this podcast and in my blog is I never want to make anyone feel bad. That is never my goal. I never want to sound preachy, anything like that. Like I just that's why I use the the term and the phrase education. Mm-hmm. But I guess I would love to kind of get your thoughts on why do you think this is an issue that people have such a hard time one grasping, two paying attention to. Um, I have sort of my own thoughts on it, but I, I'd be really curious to know from your perspective as somebody who works a lot with on the brand side, mm-hmm. what do you think it is that consumers just aren't getting? Or do you think that just consumers still just don't know?
1: I think, well, number one, like anything in life, you can't convince someone to be for a certain cause. I mm-hmm. think that it has a lot to do with personal experiences mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you I mean myself I know I'm personally invested into this um this niche and that's why I care so much because I've studied and seen the effects of this industry but for someone who would rather just shop for convenience that's their choice and they're going to want to you know go to the mall and pick out something that might be fast fashion and convenient for them um so I I don't know I think it's it's really a lot about personal experience and um Again, like you said, education is very important. I think the more that you put the truth out there and, and um, I mean, I know it's, sounds silly but like at one share on social media of an article you know that's informative someone's going to scroll by it and someone might be intrigued by it so Mm -hmm. just really putting the truth out there as much as you can and um being as transparent as possible um and then like i said um i'm really a huge proponent for creative storytelling and if you're able to say like this is um you know this is an artisan from india and this is her story this is a real person that you can you know, have an experience with and, and relate to. And um, hopefully that will, you know, tug on someone's heartstrings to really care about what's happening. And that um, even though it's, you know, so many miles away, it's it's real life and it's affecting people. It's affecting the earth and um, in turn, it's affecting you personally. So, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. You know, and I always think it's interesting to see brands that are not fast fashion or they're, excuse me, not ethical brands, kind of see how they market and it was really interesting i came across the brand the other day i'm not going to say who it was but they're Mm. literally their like facebook tag was like we are the best in fast fashion (laughs) and i was just like all right well okay (laughs) Okay. you're like actually putting it out there like look at us we are fast fashion like used the term and everything and i was just like what but i almost wanted to be like that's kind of weird because I don't feel like that's a term that, like, people who are into fast fashion Google. Like, I don't feel right. like people people are like, I want to find the best fast fashion. Like, I just don't. <laughs> well, that's
1: what I was going to say is maybe people who don't really know what fast fashion means, like, we do, just assume, like, oh, convenience. Like, it's fast.
0: It's easy. I'm going to go buy that, you know? Right. Yeah, it was huh. a very strange thing for me to come across, and I really did not know how to handle it. I was like, oh, okay, so interesting. That's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Huh. Okay, so now is one of my favorite parts of the show, where I get to just ask you some fun questions and get to know you a little bit better, you know, on a more personal level, and we're just going to have some fun. This is also the fun part where my husband gets to insert a interesting sound effect to set up our lightning round, so to speak. Ladies and gentlemen... Can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! So the first question is more of a little bit on the serious side. Um, what is the best business advice you've ever been given?
1: Um, I guess... I posted a quote the other day and I can't remember what it was. So I obviously didn't absorb it too well, but um, (laughs) it was something about um, just, you're going to have to adapt and change every single day and, and learn um, as you go. Um, I mean, I think there's no book that can tell you exactly what you're going to experience because everybody's business is different. So just being prepared um, for whatever comes and learning from it and learning how to adapt and change from it and um, apply it to, improve your business
0: mm, I love that I love that um what is this is not as a serious quote or a quote, quote question what <laughs> is the movie you can watch over and over again and you can never be, get bored of it um I have three. Ooh, and they're I like all it.
1: like super chick flicks <laughs> oh, do it <laughs> tell
0: me hey I'm do do not be ashamed do not be ashamed
1: <laughs> um p.s I love you is like my favorite movie I've never life.
0: seen that I need to see it it's I'm adding <sighs> it to my list
1: I cry every time. (laughs) It's such a girly movie. (laughs) Um, The second one, No Strings Attached. And the third one, so cliche, but Devil Wears Prada.
0: (laughs) Oh, I do love Devil Wears Prada. I have not seen it in years, but it's a great movie. You want to know what mine is? Yeah. (laughs) The movie Airplane (laughs) From from the 80s it's from the, you've never seen airplane oh my god!
1: I'm so bad with movies like I own about 20 Netflix okay and that's all I've ever
0: watched so you need to watch <laughs> airplane you need to watch airplane it's it's on um it's not on Netflix anymore but it is on Amazon Prime video okay. the instant video it airplane it's my jam I've seen it probably over a thousand times like I can okay. like recite the entire movie <laughs> um <laughs> if you were sent to space with three items what would those three items be? Go.
1: Um, First things that come dog? to mind. My You're... dog. Can I bring my dog?
0: Yeah, sure. Those are. Th- he can be an item.
1: <laughs> my dog. Um, oh, this is so bad, but probably my cell phone. <laughs> I'm so attached to it. Hey, well, you, If you and, were in space,
0: you'd probably want to take some pictures. So Yeah,
1: exactly. There you go. I don't know that you'd get cell service, <laughs> um, but. You never know. No, there's space stations out there. <laughs> That's true.
0: There are satellites out there. Maybe you'd get really amazing service.
1: That'd be really funny (laughs) and ironic.
0: I know. Um,
1: I guess the third, I guess a book, because what else are you going to do when you're just floating there?
0: I like, well, what book would it be? Because you'd probably have to read it a lot. Huh.
1: That's
0: a hard one. I know. This is like a sub-question to the question.
1: I would probably take a really large anthropology book that I've never read so that it takes up all my
0: time. (laughs) I like it. No, that's good. Because you're always learning you're absorbing um and then I figured I'd throw this one in for you and and I know that you are a branding agency so um you are going to have a little bit of a bias but that's okay um (laughs) name some some of your favorite ethical fashion brands
1: oh um, and I know this is a
0: hard one but I just always love to know I
1: always freeze when people ask me this question (laughs) um (laughs) I, okay, so I'm like, I wear basics all the time. Like, my entire closet is black. My mom makes fun of me all the time. <laughs> so I think Everlane is really good for basics. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say symbology because they were my first internship and I still work with them and I love Marissa Heil. She's amazing. That's awesome. Um, and oh, this is so hard. Maybe like, maybe
0: jewelry. <laughs> I could give you jewelry category. Jewelry category.
1: Obviously, noonday because they were introduced. They are what really introduced me to the industry. Yeah, Um, and there's so many. Like it's just amazing to see every week. There's more brands that are just popping up and have new missions and are serving new communities. And it's really cool to see how fast the industry is growing.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. My, I have so many favorites as well. But a recent favorite i would just say a recent favorite in the jewelry space i mean because everybody knows i love noonday i love trades of hope i love those companies but mm. i um i'd heard of them but had never actually worn any of their jewelry or like really seen any of their jewelry in person but mm. starfish project yes is their jewelry is gorgeous yeah, gorgeous and so really. unique it's beautiful and it's it's one of my new favorites. So, I and I'm not just saying that, but I like I'm wearing a Starfish, Starfish Project necklace right now cuz I love it so much. Um and every <laughs> and they time
1: are, they do a very good job with their social media. I will say that. <laughs> they
0: do. And my daughter every time I put on a Starfish Project necklace cuz there a lot of their jewelry is kind of made out of like like I don't know like stones, like rocks, but like mm-hmm. kind of like amethyst looking type. I don't know exactly what they call it, but we're like almost like crystals they look almost like crystals i guess i don't know that i'm totally messing this up sorry starfish project you're probably like (laughs) oh gosh you're butchering it um but my every time my daughter's obsessed with rocks and she she has a whole rock collection and so every time i put on a starfish project necklace she's like mommy that necklace is so beautiful like she just she loves it she thinks it is the best um so cute marissa this has been so much fun and i loved getting to know you a little bit more and hearing a little bit more of your story Thank and you for having me oh absolutely and honestly like i said i think what you do is so cool and so needed because so many ethical brands i mean i've talked to s- many many business owners at this point in this space and this is a need. I mean, so many of them, one, maybe they get into the business because they're really passionate about business, but then they are not great with the marketing side or mm-hmm. they they start the business because they know they really want to help, you know, a particular group of people or serve a particular group of people. But then the <laughs> the branding part, they just they're they're lost. So mm-hmm. I know this is a huge, huge part um, so much of what you do is really helping um, a lot of these companies and so I will shamelessly plug you and so if you're listening and you own an ethical uh, fashion brand and you're really needing some help, you need to reach out to Marissa because she's amazing so I'll I'll shamelessly plug you because I have I, I you know I have no shame I'm just kidding I it. thank you. Marissa is such a joy, and I love her perspective, her attitude, and her genuine passion for helping ethical businesses harness their messaging to grow and reach more people. If you are a business owner that is looking to grow or you need some help with branding and marketing, contact Marissa. Seriously, I think it's pretty evident at this point how much I adore her. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring so many amazing entrepreneurs who are quite literally changing the world just with their businesses and with their personal lives. If you're a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Google Play, or whichever one of your favorite podcasting apps you use. And make sure you are subscribed to the show clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how this show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag business with purpose or tag me at still Being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsors, Causebox and Sevenly. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash causebox and use the coupon code Molly for $15 off. And for Sevenly, visit sevenly.org and the coupon code Molly10 for 10% off. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman. And the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.